welcome to the Camden Fringe Pod, a podcast all about the Camden Fringe. Keep listening for a glimpse behind the curtains and to find out how you can get involved in, you guessed it, the Camden Fringe. Hello, welcome to the Camden Fringe Podcast. I'm Michelle. And I'm Zena. And it's October. It's gone chilly. It has. It feels like the Camden Fringe is a long way past now. Yeah, I just feel like it was a while. I suppose it's not that long. It's only six weeks ago. Wow. But it feels like longer than that. Lots yeah. happened. Today we have an interview with Cyril Blake, who was a participant in this year's Camden Fringe. And he was also a very keen viewer of other people's shows. So we talked to him about how his show went and things that he liked, venues he liked, um, going to see things on your own. It's really worth listening to the experience of someone who just really sort of flung himself into the whole thing and I think he tried to get out of it as much as he could. He rang the pips out of the Camden Fringe this summer. We're joined today by Cyril Blake. Hello. Actor, theatre goer, <laughs> writer. Did you direct your own show? No, um, I did get someone else in. To me. I have directed the odd time in the past. Producer? Yes. <laughs> Definitely a producer. Yeah. So you did your show Bonding this year at the Hen and Chickens? That's correct, yes. How did you find the experience of doing the Camden Fringe? Was it your first show? It's the first time I've ever put on my own show. So it was a one-person show that I wrote and produced. And that's the first time I've kind of done any of those things. I've done fringes before, but I've always just been an actor brought in. Uh, and you know how these things are. You might help alongside the production or whatever, but I'd never had to sort of take responsibility for everything in quite that way before. It's a bit of a steep learning curve, to be honest. But that was always the intention. That was the whole point. It was like, let me put on a show and learn from it uh, and then hopefully be better next time. What were the key things you think you learnt this year? Is there anything you can pass on to performers for the future? Uh, for me personally, from my experience, do everything about three months earlier. <laughs> That's, that was what I learned. I signed up to do the Camden Fringe. I sort of committed to it in April and it was very much a deliberate, okay, I've got this idea. I want to do it. I haven't got a script yet, but I know what I want to do. Put the dates in, get that deadline because I work to a deadline. And, and, you know, that gives me several months to work with. I thought that's OK. And then I ended up getting a part in a play. And so that sort of wiped out a couple of months um, suddenly. And so I found myself in the middle of June and I didn't have a script and I didn't have, have anything. I, yeah, I, had the, I had the concept. I knew what I was going to do, but I, I needed to write it all. And then... Everything that I just had never done before, the press release, publicity, social media. I'm not very good at social media, so I was having to get to grips with all that, Instagram and everything. Everything I was doing was fairly new to me, and I just needed more time with every single thing. So, yeah, give yourself plenty of time. Don't rush it. Yes. <laughs> and uh, don't panic when you're the day before the show and you're absolutely convinced you're not ready. <laughs> just have to push through. How did the performances go? Honestly, they went really well in the end. And I say literally uh, 24 hours before the show, I was not thinking it was going to come together. And again, it was a time issue because I was so focused on learning it, getting it in my head that I felt like I hadn't given enough time to actual performance in rehearsal. And the fortunate thing for me was obviously I wrote the piece 
And although it was sort of semi-autobiographical, it wasn't me as a character, but it was, you know, it was my mannerisms, my voice and all that. I wasn't really doing a character as such. So that made it very easy for me to just be natural, let it come out, and it'll be okay. And that's basically what happened. Um, but I would have really liked a whole lot more rehearsal time. But in the moment, I did it. I got it done. Literally the few hours before the show, we managed to do a full dress rehearsal. And it went okay. So it was like, okay, I think it's going to be all right. <laughs> and then, yeah, the, the actual performances, I was really happy with them. And got really good feedback from people, most of whom I know personally. So you've got to kind of take it with a pinch of salt. But you've had some nice reviews as well, haven't you? Yeah, I managed to get a couple of reviewers in despite putting all that stuff out very late as well. My press release went out very late. Uh, again, something I've learned from. But I'll, uh, I listened to the podcast, um, a, a few episodes specifically about uh, how to put together a press release and things like that. Mm-hmm. So I found that really useful, actually, as someone who'd never done it before. So thank you. Ah, oh, you're very welcome. And so are you London-based? Yeah, I live in Brixton at the moment. Uh, you can probably tell from my accent I'm not a London native, but um, I've been here quite a few years now. Uh, from Yorkshire originally. We've just had, um, about 18 months ago now, Brixton House Theatre opened, um, the first new theatre in Brixton for um, decades. And maybe we can try and incorporate Brixton into Camden Fringe. I tell you what, there's definitely lots of like small venues and, and uh, interesting places to do things. And there's a great uh, tradition of music hall in Brixton. The reason I asked if you were London-based, I mean, the reason we've got you on the podcast really is because you, it's unverifiable, but I think probably <laughs> you're the person who saw the most different Camden Fringe productions in 2023. Can you tell us how many you managed to watch? I saw 35 shows and that was less than I intended to, <laughs> <laughs> because there, was, there were things I wanted to go see and then couldn't for one reason or another. I ended up taking a whole week off to focus on my own show. So, yeah, I saw lots of shows and um, I, I really made a conscious decision to j- throw myself into it and try and absorb as much as possible because... Camden is relatively local to me. I thought this is this is my fringe. This is my local fringe. It cost me a couple of quid to get up there on the tube. It's the affordable one I can do. So you use your performance pass? Yes, the lovely people at Camden Fringe provide us with a, a performance pass, which gives us discounts or, in a lot of cases, free entry to shows. And that's down to the venues, I think, that decide what the discounts are going to be. Or some shows will put in their own specific deals. But most of the venues and a lot of the big venues like Hen and Chickens, the etc., Lion and Unicorn, they basically have a deal where, hey, if there's seats available, turn up, we'll let you in. You know, so you don't get priority over people who are going to book. There was a few that I didn't get into because they were sold out. But it meant I got into most shows for free. I can give you some numbers if you like. Yes, please. Because I kept a tally. I'm a sort of spreadsheet kind of guy. Brilliant. So um, I was keeping records of everything I went to see and, and like what it cost me and all that sort of stuff. And... I can tell you that in the 35 shows, I spent a grand total of £42 on tickets. And I did have a quick tally of what it would have cost if I'd actually paid full price. And it would have been uh, 10 times that, 400 and something it was. And I literally wouldn't have been able to afford to do that. So I wanted to go and see as much as I could. And I knew that was going to be limited uh, financially. 
Because when you're paying for the tickets, you just have to be more selective. You have to be like, okay, what does this really appeal to me? Whereas I felt I was totally free to just, hey, what's this? This looks a bit weird. I'm going to go see this. And I felt like I could be a lot more experimental with it. So that was really freeing. And were there any venues that you hadn't been to before that you were kind of interested to go and visit? Yes. I'd been to very few of the venues. I'd been to the Etc. I performed at the Etc. before. I'd been to the Hen and Chickens. I really like the Hen and Chickens, actually. I did perform there, so uh, perhaps I'm slightly biased. But the guys there were really great. They were really friendly. And I, I like the venue as well. The space is, to say it's essentially a black box theatre above a pub, it feels very open and light. They have really great connections with the pub. So that was a nice space. The one that really impressed me, actually, is the cockpit. Mm -hmm. Their lighting setup is amazing. And you can do things in the round, essentially. You know, they've got seating at all four corners, but then they tend to just work to one side or or a three-side venue, depending on what the show is. But it gives you all sorts of options. And it's quite a wide space as well. So there's a lot of space to be used there if you want it. And yeah, the lighting rig there was great. Plus a lot of the things I saw there were just really good quality. I know they have courses that they run there at the cockpit. They seem very involved in generating acts and, and helping people get, get into the into theatre. So I, I think it all comes together nice. Yeah, they do quite a lot of scratch nights and things like that there, don't they? Yeah. Let's drill down into the shows that you saw. Have you ranked them? Have you got a top 10? Or did you give them <laughs> stars or marks as you saw them? Not exactly. I, you know, I was, I was seeing so many shows. I was thinking I should review things. I should uh, connect with one or review uh, places and, and, and use it. But I find it difficult to be really ruthless with people. Um, I try to find the positive in everything. I think that's probably a good thing to have as a reviewer anyway. But it's such a wide range of things. I'm a bit more of a straight theatre kind of guy, drama. But then I'll go and see something that is much more um, experimental, perhaps avant-garde, something with dance and, and movement and all this sort of stuff. And it's something that I struggle to connect with, like from a performer's point of view, because it's not something I've ever done. But every now and then, something like that will really grab you and, and it completely sort of go, oh, wow, this is a whole new realm of possibilities. Yeah, it's difficult to compare things. I can tell you a couple of things that really jumped out of me that I liked particularly. Yeah, please do. The one that I definitely would say was my favourite and absolutely jumped out to me was was Faustine, uh, which was at the cockpit by... Light at Midnight, I think. Light at Midnight, that's them. Yeah, that was excellent. It wasn't the first time they'd done it, and you could tell that. Uh, it felt very polished. And really, just really nice. And it's, it's fairly straight kind of theatre, but then there's a little bit of puppeteering in it, but it doesn't feel like weirdly out of place or anything. Um, it just really helps bring this scene to life. Really creative stuff. We spoke to them on the podcast before they did the show. It's, yeah. It did sound brilliant. It was. It was excellent. Uh, another one I saw at the cockpit, actually, End of the World FM, which was one of the most powerful performances I saw. Um, he's called Kevin Murphy, Kevin something Murphy. And he'd written it as well, but just the absolute passion and energy that he put into the performance was excellent and and an engaging show as well. It is difficult to do an engaging one-person show. (laughs) That is is a bit of a a challenge. I'll tell you another one I saw that I really liked because it was right up my alley, and it was called The Lodger. It was written by one of the cast. They were all from Rose Buford um, School. 
So it was obviously done as a project there. And, and that was telling in the fact that the parents of the family were played by, you know, 25 year olds. That was the one thing that made it feel like a student production, which is not quite what you want, but they performed it excellently. But um, it just kind of jumps out at you a little bit. But it was really sitcom-y, and that's kind of my thing. I actually do a podcast about sitcoms, the history of British sitcoms. So that is definitely something that appeals to me. When I write stuff, it tends to be kind of lightly comedic. So that was one that really made me go, oh, yeah, this is this is my kind of thing as well. And did you see any of the improv that was on this year? Because we had a huge wedge of improv taking place. I didn't really, you know, because... Like I say, I'm a bit more of a straight theatre guy. I was seeing a lot of that. I saw a little bit of, not exactly stand-up, but kind of stand-up derived pieces, uh, like Wife Material, which was um, a couple, and one is more of a poet, one's a stand-up. And so it was kind of stand-up-ish, but there was a narrative there to it as well. And um, I didn't see any improv. The other factor as well, and I don't know, how do you feel like this? Like going to see stand-up or going to see improv or something like that feels like a social activity. You go for a drink afterwards, all that. And, you know, I did manage to find people to go with me to certain things, but generally I was going to stuff on my own. And you go to see a play, that feels okay. But I I feel weird going to see a stand-up on my own. Like uh, there's something about the shared nature of laughter that makes it feel a little bit odd. Yeah, that makes sense. I don't like watching comedy on the TV on my own. Hmm. It's lovely to talk to you about this because as the Camden Fringe is in progress, people kind of assume that we go and see everything that's on, which is Mm. completely physically impossible for an individual to do anyway. But we don't have much time to go and see shows. So I think between us, we saw probably 10 things this year. I went to see everything on my own. And I think Zena went to go and see stuff with people this year. Is that right? Yes. I had my daughter with me. I definitely went to see one comedy show where I was there on my own. Everyone else was in pairs. And then there was one woman who was there. She ended up getting stuck on a row on her own because she was waiting for her friend to arrive and they were late. So I went, I was like, I'll come and sit next to you. So you're not on your own in the front row. But yeah, there is something a bit, a bit intimidating about going to see comedy on your own. I think there's like a feeling of jeopardy, like you could be picked on and there's no one with you to yeah, make it yeah, feel okay. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. Having seen so many shows, have you found from doing that that you got ideas for ways of doing things or ways of writing things or ways of putting something on or a different venue you might want to use for the future? Have you found it like a useful thing artistically? Absolutely, yes. Yes. In fact, my inspiration, my show was a show I saw at Edinburgh Fringe last year uh, called UPKA, which is being very successful uh, at the moment. And that kind of was the starting point of me kind of creating my own show. That's why I love to go and see things. It is really inspiring. Even if you see something that's like you walk away and go, wow, that was rubbish. (laughs) You can often kind of take something out of it, even if it is like, well, I definitely won't do that. (laughs) Uh, so lots of inspiration and yeah seeing different venues is really good seeing the different ways they can be used I find that really interesting um I I deliberately designed a show that I could kind of put up anywhere there's no sets there's not really any props um it's just very focused on on the character but that was because I have an idea that I'm going to take it on and do it elsewhere so I've been to a couple of places that are essentially stand-up venues. And then I saw maybe a one-person show there. And you go, they've used this minimal space really nicely. Um, I like what they've done here. But yeah, you would not be able to do much here. There's no wings. There's no kind of space to have any set or anything like that. And then, then in terms of actual performance as well, 
yeah, sometimes you see, I mean, sometimes literally you see someone and you go, God, I want to work with these people. These guys are producing great stuff. Oh, this is a fantastic actor. I'm going to remember that name. <laughs> I'm going to try and, uh, try and get in touch with this person. Or just ideas. So I saw a show at the line in Unicorn called A Woman Called Girl, and it was four performers, and they were kind of ultimately all part of one character, and it was quite abstract. And it, it did sort of take it to about two-thirds of the way through before it started to pull together and you really sort of worked out where to go in. But it was a lot of movement-based stuff. And again, it was really great to see stuff like that that I think I could never do that. I would never write that. That just does not create in my mind. But someone else has done it and they've shown how it can be done really well. And I actually spoke to those guys. I, I talked to a couple of them afterwards. I asked about their process and mm-hmm. how they worked it to up and all that sort of thing and so meeting other people and questioning them was always good I tried to do that as much as possible but again that was something that was you know you hang about after the show and you take some 20 minutes to get out or whatever but the problem is if you're on your own like if I was with a friend we'd stop and have a drink or whatever but you're just sort of hanging around in a pub and you look a bit weird the other problem is of course they they come down from the show and there's 30 people there who are all their friends who come to see the show so you can't really get to them so um, I was trying to use it as a, a way of socializing professionally and personally, you know, and meeting people. I really tried to embrace the Instagram stuff because it was just a great way to connect with these other creators. And and the, the one thing I got from Camera Fringe completely was that connection. A- everything I went to see, I, like, I followed them on Instagram, even some shows that I liked the look of and then couldn't go and see whatever I did. I followed them on Instagram. A lot of followed me back and I I posted about what I was going to see. I've managed to have a couple of conversations with people on there as well. Like I would literally just message them going, I just saw your show, I really liked it. And you you try and make a bit of conversation about it. I think people really appreciate, you know, something like that that take you a minute to do, I think would really mean a lot to people to get that yeah, message yeah i think so i i think if someone did it to me i'd be like oh great yeah <laughs> that's good and, and like i say i it just means now on my instagram when i go on there i'm getting information from 40 fringe producers so you know people who are on my level people who i may well work with at some point in the future and uh, and so it's just good to be in touch with them at all times. That's just like it's it, and and I only opened my Instagram thing like four months ago. So it was just a great way of shortcutting right here I am and part of the world now. And did you find anybody reciprocated and came to see your show that you know that you've been to see theirs? Yeah. A couple of people did, yeah. I was thinking about along the way, actually. I was thought, oh, should, I should have done my show at the end of the fringe. And <laughs> I could have banked a whole lot of... Uh, no, a couple did. I found that the audience makeup from a lot of the shows I was seeing was sort of, I would say, two-thirds uh, uh, people who personally know the cast. And uh, this is something I've been really take, paying attention to in terms of like, okay, how do you sell your product? How do you sell your show? especially as a one-person show, how many people can you get in? And that's a really interesting thing as well, which I have not worked out. I haven't got my head around you. How do you market something? And I can say, based on the things I've seen at the at the Fringe, audience size has not got a lot to do with the actual quality of the product necessarily. It's about how you connect with other people, how you sell it. Um, what have you got? Like, what have you got? on paper, not the actual final product, but what, what have you got to kind of go, hey, look, this looks interesting, doesn't it? And marketing opportunities, I don't, I mean, I'm still, I'm learning all that. I'm trying to learn as much as I can. 
Well, I think your show's definitely got good potential for marketing because it's about James Bond. Yeah. That is a, a, a hook to hang it on. Yeah, and not to be sort of too commercially crass about it, but that was a very deliberate choice. Last year at Edinburgh, I saw a show called Yippie which was about Die Hard. And it was a really great sort of retelling of Die Hard, but then it was connected. It's a poetic retelling of Die Hard, actually. But then it's, it's interwoven with this personal story. And I thought that works really well. You've got this really commercial, marketable asset. Everyone looked at it and goes, oh, look, Die Hard. Or in my case, James Bond. But then the actual story is much more personal and something that you, when you come, it's not just like, oh, fan service. It's it's actually something that you're going to get emotionally connected to. But hopefully with enough Bond content that that pulls it together. And it actually did. To say that was kind of the opening idea, it, what it became as a show was quite different to what I'd originally imagined when you start writing it, but that's inevitable, right? But I really I really do think it came together well and it did combine those elements and it did manage to pull in the Bond references and all that sort of stuff. So I was really happy with how it came out. And certainly as a first draft of a show, this was the first time I'd done it, there was room to expand it. That was another thing I learned. I, I kind of was working to an hour slot. My rehearsals were about 52 minutes. I thought that's okay. You'd give me a bit of leeway. I did the first show and it was 42 minutes long. <laughs> so I, just, I don't know how that happened. Was that because you were speeding through it? Well, do you know what? I I asked a few people and they said it didn't feel rushed. It didn't feel fast. So that was a good pace. But I just, uh, but that it's good because it means I'm, I've got room to expand. I don't have to sort of take too much out. I can stick another 10 to 15 minutes in there and expand a few elements, which now having performed it in front of people, you, you can go, oh, hang on, yeah, that feels a bit rushed. That one, that didn't come quite come together the way I wanted it to. So, yeah, uh, lots of lessons learned along the way. And what's your plan for it now? Have you got any more dates booked in? Nothing booked in yet, but the idea is to do other fringes, uh, look into that and work all that out. Brighton is an obvious choice because I can get down there really easily. The ultimate end goal is Edinburgh next year. Mm-hmm. That is sort of dependent on a lot of things, financial mostly. Working out a way to do that in a way that is affordable, uh, which is obviously everyone's challenge, isn't it? It is, yeah. So you should have a listen to our podcast with um, Holly. Mm-hmm. She's a World Fringe and the Rural Touring Network and touring shows in general. It might be a good one for you. Good, yes, I will check that out. I will say my my overall... Uh, takeaway from Camden Fringe I got a lot a lot of stuff out of it a lot of positive things out of it and I really came away thinking why this should be this is my fringe you know this is my local thing it's a huge thing every year I could do this every year I could just go and see as many shows as I can get as involved as I can and so that's really been my takeaway from it and uh, thank you guys very much for for making that happen making that possible thank you for embracing the spirit of Camden Fringe so brilliantly (laughs) Tell us a bit about your podcast. I do a podcast called The British Sitcom History Podcast. Um, there's, a, there's a clue in the name there what it's about. We look at old British sitcoms um, and, the, and the history of them. We kind of put them into a historical context and then review them. And it's all quite lighthearted, but it's a, quite an in-depth look at things. As well. Have you covered constant hot water? <laughs> no. It's very obscure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know that one. No one's ever heard of I've not of even it. heard of that. I'm, I'm supposed to be an expert. <laughs> I'd, I'd say Google it, but you won't find anything, but it did happen. <laughs> and what's your what's your favourite all-time sitcom? Ooh, that's a big question. If, if you really pin me down to an answer, I'll just give you a nice straight answer. I would go with Porridge. Ah, oh, brilliant. Good answer. Uh... Just excellent writing, excellent performances. That's all I need. 
I would love to do a stage version of porridge. That's definitely something that's on my to-do list. Okay, thank you very much for your time. So we will be starting to think about 2024 soon. But before that, yeah. let's think a bit more about 2023. <laughs> Cyril mentioned um, some of the shows that he really liked. And mm-hmm. I know at least one of those is being performed again. So The Lodger um, is on, oh, actually this week at the Lion and Unicorn. It's on until Saturday the 21st. Neverland is also on at the Lion and Unicorn next week from the 24th to the 28th of October. Also worth noting that the etc offered out um, some spare dates to Camden Fringe performers and that offer has been taken up by quite a few. So if you missed uh, Codba, Child of a Deaf Adult, Pleasure Chapters, Mine or Unapologetically Autistic, Unwritten, Pink Elephants or Insert Play, they could all be seen um, at the etc before the end of October. Cool. It's nice to see things having a life beyond the festival. Coming up, it's the London Pub Theatre Awards. Oh, on Sunday. And I believe you are attending and I'm going to take a little hand puppet to be me. Yes, exactly. I shall be taking puppet Xena. Hopefully there'll be lots of Camden Fringe folk there. Fingers crossed. I think there will be. What did you want to say about 2023? About 2024. Yeah, that one. 2024, which obviously is a date very far in the future in in the midst of like space exploration and Dr. Spark can't possibly be next year or in a few months. Yeah, just starting to think about getting it all set up, ready for opening applications in January. I've been thinking about what we want to do the same, little tweaks we want to make, little things we want to add on, stuff like that. I like this bit when you can be sort of thinking a little bit creatively about what you might want to do before it's too busy to be able to think. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.